when I found my breakthrough, it was like, it was like something like, it was like one minute I was one way and the next minute I was another. When you find recovery, it's a buildup. Yeah. It's a buildup because you'll feel it for a few days. Yeah. And then it builds and it builds and it builds because and you're, and then it slowly gets to that point where it's like. Everyone's fighting a battle that you can't see. I am James and welcome to Focus For You. In this podcast, I will give you tips to overcome the challenges that we all battle with. Why comparison can be a good thing is if you are on the come up and then people want to associate or associate you with something so that it can be palatable for the next individual. That's I am so happy that you guys are here. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am excited. Um, today's guest is an amazing, amazing person. Uh, I learned so much in this interview about this individual. I've also been able to um, gain a better understanding of him as a man and his journey. Um, Rob has an opened my eyes and enlightened me in a better way to see other people uh, and it's also given me great inspiration to get back to talk to you guys so I want you to pay attention laugh a little bit learn a little bit and really just immerse yourself into today's show uh, again guys thank you all right, so we're back again, and uh, I'm sitting here with a uh, with my cousin. Yeah, yeah, with my cousin. Um, we've had many run-ins and many great conversations, and we and uh, I ran into him on Christmas, and we wanted to sit down and have a uh, conversation. And uh, Rob, I really appreciate you being here with me today and taking the time on New Year's Day and uh, knocking this out with me. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, ain't no thing. Yeah. So, uh, Rob, whenever we sit down and talk, we always like try to catch up with each other and try to figure out, you know, what you're doing and where you're going and how everything went. And uh, I, I hit you with, yeah, on Christmas, I was like, yeah, I moved to North Carolina. And you're like, oh, shit. I was like, yeah, yeah, it definitely happened. And you were like, man, I'm so, I'm so happy for you and everything. And uh, I remember a, f a few years back when you had sat there and you had told me that, you know, you were becoming a comic. And I was just like, oh, man, that's so awesome. You know, creative outlets, 
and yeah. people, you know, finding their niche and wherever they are is like I I, I I speak to this a lot on my on this on this show how important that is, uh, how important that is for uh, development of, of your mind, how it is to to change your lifestyle, motivate you to be the best you you can be, just all around better setup for you as the individual. Um, can you tell us about your journey, how you became a comic and how where that transformation and all that started for you? You know, it was like, it's crazy. Um, it's like, um, I don't know, like, see, it's, it's, I just always remember it being there. Yeah? Yeah, like my first my first joke was, uh, I was four years old and I remember saying, it's hot as hell in here. And my mother slapped me in the face. And <laughs> she fucked me in the mouth. And because the thing is, like when I when I when I said it, I I noticed the reaction of everybody in the room. Like I noticed, like everybody was laughing that was in the room saying it. It was like they because they didn't expect me to say it. Right. But I said what was going on in the room. Like it was hot. And I was like, but I had heard somebody say it before, uh-huh. and then I was just I didn't understand what it meant. So I remember like, I said it in the room. We were, I remember I was living in the projects. We were in the kitchen. I was living in a uh, Melikasi Circle in Britain. And uh, I said, yeah, I was like, it's hot as hell in here. And then everyone, like, my relatives were laughing. And my mother, she was, like, in the cut. Mm-hmm. She wanted to laugh. I could tell. Yeah. But then she kind of had to be mom, though. So she mm-hmm. came in, she laughed for a second, and she popped me in the mouth. Right. And then ever since then, I was hooked. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when, that, that's, when I, that's when I realized my mutant power. <laughs> like, you know, that's so funny you say that because I believe I have a superpower as well. And then... Really? And, and and I, and I speak to this that I, every single one of us has a superpower and you have something that no one else can do. You have something that no one else has a, a talent for and that you should kind of really own that. And uh, I really think that uh, comedy and being a, uh, a comic is like right where you should be, in my personal opinion. Oh, I appreciate that. i tell you what, like, I'll show you something real quick. This is not good for the podcast. But um, this man here, I grew up, when I when I wanted to do, when I, when I wanted to be in, get into comedy, like, as I started getting older, I um I wanted to be like this dude named Lenny Bruce. So this is, so this is Lenny Bruce right here. So Lenny, Leonard Schneider. So that's Lenny Bruce. Yeah. Lenny Bruce is a, is a Jewish white man. Okay. From the 1950s. And I remember reading his autobiography when I was like 9, 10 years old. Okay. I read Pimp by Iceberg Slim. Okay. And I read um, Eleni Bruce's uh, joint. And then I didn't know what a comedian was. I just knew that he was funny and I wanted to do what he did. So, like, as time went on, I just started morphing into this, this guy named Lenny Bruce. And then that, the thing is, though, I'll show you another picture here that I said it might not be good, but this is this is my hero. Died from a drug overdose next to his toilet in his California bathroom. Wow. You know, <laughs> and I didn't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm 10 years old reading about this, you know? Yeah. And for me, and I appreciate you saying that, like, like when you, it's there, you know it's there, man. Like, it, it just, it, it, I don't know, I was lucky. It was so apparent for me, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And like, then as I got older, man, like, I don't know, everything just started. It just started to click. The more I, I was a, I was a junkie for it, man. Yeah. I was a junkie for it, and, and all I wanted to do was just be funny. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't. I didn't know what a comedian was. But anyway, yeah, you didn't. You yeah. didn't know how to like structure jokes no. or put all that stuff together or what you should be doing in the set, right? But then again, but when I was young, people would tell me that. 
it would come out like set up and punchline. Yeah. So up until like so when I got the double digits, right, my teacher, she would say to the class, if you guys are good for the week, we'll let the last fifteen minutes of on Friday, we'll let Rob do a show. Oh wow, that's so dope. Yeah, so I would do that. But then after a while the kids started being good every week and I didn't have enough material. <laughs> 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 well, that's a, that's a, that's a great sign to show that people really already was enjoying your craft at an early age for you. It was it was it, I, as I said, I'm very lucky. I was I'm very lucky because it was just apparent. It was one of those things where you just like you know you see like the kids out there they're like they're like bigger than other kids, right? Yeah. And so these they're like you know they, oh this guy's gonna play this kid's gonna play sports or this kid's gonna do this right and. Everyone always said that I was going to be funny. Everyone said I was going to be a comedian of some sort. I'm next Sinbad, next Eddie Murphy, and or whatever it was. And and then the more I started watching who Sinbad was, Eddie Murphy was, Richard Pryor. Then like when I saw Eddie Murphy, like that that it was it was over. It was yeah, over, it was over. Well, which which, uh, which Eddie Murphy stand up was it for uh, you? Delirious. Yeah. When I saw delirious. <laughs> delirious is timeless. Yo, it, it's was, timeless. You can play it right now, and people that. Never yeah. seen it can I relate to it, and that's the and that's one of the biggest things in my personal opinion about comedians and comics when they have a stand up that runs the test of time. Some of the jokes, like the gay stuff, faggot stuff, that's gonna be tough. Right. But even then, though, if you listen to it, it's still fucking fun. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because the impressions are so strong. Right. Now, I was watching it, so like Erica and I, like we were watching it. Um, Erica was my, my wife person and uh <laughs> from like 16 and a half years but we were watching we were watching a shitty a shitty elvis presley movie and i got into it uh-huh it was so bad i was into it and then i thought about eddie murphy's bit about elvis presley and then i started watching delirious and before you knew it i watched the whole thing right and i was still laughing right Is it, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's funny you say that because uh this past uh august i was out in uh toronto at uh at uh, the um, the Soka Festival mm -hmm. with my my brother and my cousins, and that was amazing. And we just happened to be in the house one day, and we popped on Delirious, and we're all watching it, and we're laughing. You know, a bunch of dudes in you know around their late twenties, early thirties, sitting there with a, with a a timeless, you know, comedic standup right there, and we're all laughing like we have never seen it before. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So I mean, uh, to to once once you find that niche for yourself, and once you're in there and you're um, trying to work through your craft, I heard you mention something about comparisons and and things of that nature. Can you talk to me about that in the in the comic world and being compared to certain people or not being compared or what it is like people are doing to try to even get to this point, bro? Like, you know what I mean? Oh, it's an ugly fucking business. Okay. I, I I have to I have to imagine that it's really cutthroat and it's really kind of it's kind of like I got guys who stole my jokes on TV right now. Yeah, that use my jokes to have cow them to the next level. No way. That's serious. That's serious. And um, is that isn't that isn't that kind of like a backwards like compliment? Yes and no. It's a it, it stings. I'm sure it stings. It stings like all hell. I'm sure it does. At first, yeah. But the thing is, we're friends. And the thing is, it's like, they will tell you, oh, I didn't take it. I just took a variation of it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, but dude, we were talking about that for quite some time. Justifying it. Yeah, yeah. You That's... came up to me, asked me about it, talked about it, you know, talk shop. 
And then before you know it, like, you're doing it in one of your sets. And then Erica, she was like, uh, I think such and such is doing one of your sets. I had somebody call me up one day say, hey, Rob, you know that bit you do about this, 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 and this? I'm like, yeah. It's like, dude, you're killing in Pasadena right now. <laughs> yeah, you're you're not in Pasadena at all. Exactly. I was I was out here. I was in Hartford at the time when my buddy hit me up about it, and he's just like, and he and he put the phone. Oh wow! To the stage. Wow. And I heard the guy do my bit, and the thing is, I was mad because like I, he he nigged it up, basically. He he took a joke that's more that's doesn't have a lot of old school blackisms like uh, like comic view shit you know what I mean like okay. that type of like cause you know when you like this and you know like that type of level uh-huh. that's what he was doing it my shit's more conversational okay so when it comes to comparisons he, he took a different delivery yeah and it fucking pissed me off I was more mad that he fucked it up <laughs> you know what I'm saying like I was more mad that he he nigged it up the way he did and I say nigged it up meaning like he just totally just he turned it into something that it wasn't he he put this insane level of blackisms into it that made it generic and simple. And I was so mad that he did that. Like, the joke was essentially about how, um... You know they're gonna... You know, now they're, they're, everybody's thinking, you know, what's the joke? I want to hear the yeah, joke. The, I want to... The, the, well, like, for my, my joke was, like, um... Like, it was about urban behavior. And I remember walking by an urban behavior in, uh, in, in, in the mall out here in Connecticut at West Farms. And... So when I would walk out, I would walk by, it's like, urban behavior. It's like, man, that's interesting. Wouldn't it be funny if you go into an urban behavior, there'd be number dice games, pregnant teenagers, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Hondas all over the place, you know what I'm saying? Hey, right. <laughs> it's like, 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 this is urban behavior, you right. know what I'm saying? Right. And, like, you know you're, and then the whole, and then the idea that I stretch it out, it's like, you know you're in a bad neighborhood, like, you know you're in a weird neighborhood or a good neighborhood when you see, like, the names of the shops called, like, you know, um, and this is me biting off Chappelle. Where it was just like, you know, you see gun store, liquor store, gun store. Like, what the fuck are you taking me, right? Yeah, right. So I took it a step further. It's like, man, you know you're in a, in a good neighborhood when you see, like, um, a store named, you know, America's Best. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or, like, or White Guilt. You know? yeah, right. <laughs> and then it's just like, but in my neighborhood, we got a place called Urban Behavior. And when you walk into that motherfucker, there's nothing but urban behavior going on. Right. So I thought of every urban behavior that I could think of that I thought was funny and interesting. Uh-huh. The first one was Dice Games. Pregnant teenagers, right. drug deals being made, right. white people who don't belong in the neighborhood buying those drugs. It's like, right. like this is urban behavior. And right. then when you go to the register and it's just like, you know, the the for a customer service and the customer service lady's like, what the fuck you want? I'm like, is this customer service? And I looked up and the and the section said, what the fuck you want? So, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> so but that was the whole idea. And and I yeah. remember doing that joke. And I remember and then I remember the guy doing it. The, same variation to it uh-huh. and then he mucked it up and then and then it went from that to like um a guy who was like like my neighborhood is so bad that there's there's my neighborhood's so weird that there's guys that put Lamborghini doors on cars that are not Lamborghinis. Right, right. We've all we've seen that. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Like I, yeah, it's like I go down I go down there and I go into my neighborhood and there's like there's a guy that's got Lamborghini doors on a nineteen ninety four Honda Accord. Right. And the funny thing is the first two doors were Lamborghini, but the back two doors were Honda. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he and that's he took that whole thing. Yeah. I uh I um you can't help but to see that. I what I like to call that for people they're they're hood rich when you do yeah. stuff like that, you yeah. know what I mean. So, but I it's it's that's crazy, man. That's crazy. I you we, you were talking about 
how cutthroat the business is, and I and we can kind of see where that is, where you kind of got your joke ripped off, and uh, now somebody's using that bit, and it kind and it, it definitely it always sucks. But um, the funny thing is, that was my throwaway joints. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Like right. I, haven't, I haven't done that bit since 2012, 2013. Wow. I guarantee if I brought it back, it'd be fucking awesome. Yeah, and I, and I might. Because when you talk about comparisons, this is why I bring the joke up, being stolen from. You don't want to be compared to nobody. No, yeah, you want to blaze your own trail. Exactly, because as soon as you start being compared to somebody else, then you start... It's like when I hear people say, like, the next Jordan or the next LeBron or the next this. Like, quit calling these motherfuckers the next whomever. Right. Let them be them. Let them be the individual. Right. I feel like a comparison is a death trap. The only reason why a comparison could be a good thing is if you are on the come up and then people want to associate or associate you with something so that it can be palatable for the next individual. That's all That's all comparisons are. I agree. Yeah. It's all about being palatable to people that don't understand what it is that you're doing. Right. So, if someone said to me, like, oh, yeah, this dude's funny. He's like the next next Kevin Hart you'd be like oh that nigga's gotta be funny and that dude's gotta be funny right you know so for me it's just like when people say well Rob's the next oh, that dude's just different right you know what I mean? like he's just he's a different animal on stage it's like you go I go up there and it's like yeah I have a slow laid back style like a Chappelle like yeah but then I also tell stories the way Richard Pryor does right and um but then there's also this different level of uniqueness that comes in that's just like but it's just different right so it's like I'm my own monster. Right. So because of that, having jokes stolen from me and seeing guys I know that are on SNL right now, writers yeah. and actual on the show. Right. And then the guys I came up with who are in LA. I got I got people who are I got friends who wrote who won Emmys. Yeah. For for writing on SNL for writing on different shows. That's awesome. Yeah. And the cool thing is, it's like look. I came up with them, and they all told me the same thing. It's like, yo, Rob, you're a different breed. Yeah, and the thing is, they always say to me, "It's like when they get you, it's like you're gonna you're gonna take off." Right. So the problem is, it's like nobody they you're funny, but they don't get you yet. Right. And I've had headliners tell me, and I'm talking about like Christina Pozitsky, who's actually married to um, Tom Segura. Okay. So and Tom Segura is a beast. Right. I love Segura. She was. Um, she told me she's like Rob. I love what you do. She's like she told me the same thing. It's like like you're going to transcend. And when they get you, then you're going to see everything change for you. Right. And so when it came to comparisons, I was like, fuck that. And then now it's gotten to a point where it's just like, yo, like I remember when I was young, when I used to live in New York City, I used to sit, out of Rock, sit outside of Rockefeller Center. And I remember because I wanted to visualize myself working in the rock. It's like I would, you know, I would clean the fucking toilets. That's how bad I wanted to be in the Rockefeller Center. You know what I'm saying? And I remember I would sit out there. But then after a while... I said, yo, I don't want to have a writing job. I want to be the writing job. Right. You get what I'm saying? I do get what you're saying. I do get what you're saying. <laughs> and and that's when all that stuff, said. I said, fuck it. But then Erica got pregnant. And then we had to come back home. Well, so <laughs> so I, I, love, I, I love that. That was great. That's a great point to kind of stop right there and kind of backtrack a little bit from... Um, you talked about how these comics, they see your vision. They see that you can transcend, but not everybody else can see it. And, you know, I've kind of done some research on comics and everything else. And all these comics had these 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 uh, growing moments, as I like to call them, these learning moments, these, these ahas 
in their careers where they where they finally got noticed and then they they started you know they're they're on the road you know forty eight weeks out of the year and um, you finally have ascended to where you wanted to be but now you're missing out on everything else that with your family and all that stuff so when you when 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 the um when the come up comes and they get you and they understand your 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 what your laughter your comedic your comedic prowess yeah like where does that go from there you know what i mean how do you how do you like transition how do you become how are you still dad how are you still a, a partner how are you how are how does all that work i mean i'm sure you've seen some examples right that was the one thing i was always worried about yeah i before I started doing comedy, when I was getting into it, like I was like my early, I was always into it. Teenage, teen years. I mean, my first time doing stand up, I was twelve. Um, you know, at like I was like twelve, thirteen years old. I, fuck, I love school. that, dude. I love that. I yeah. so I, I love I love the fact that it's. I'm, I'm 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 sometimes I'm a bit jealous that you were able to find your niche at such an early age mm-hmm. and be able to be like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it, and I don't care what anybody else wants to say or how they feel about it. And you're just doing it. So I'm I, I get. Because now that I kind of found my voice, yeah, yeah, but I'm in my 30s now. <laughs> it's all good though. I, I know, I understand that. I understand that. But I mean, I speak to this with with the people on my cast and everything on the show. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you find it when you find it. Yeah. But I, like I said, I still, I'm still envious of that because I wish I got to this sooner, just so I can immerse myself so much more into that. Well, I mean, not. To, I, I'm sorry to have cut you off no, and no, gone you're on good. this. No, no, gone you're on this. Me off at all. Yeah. Wait. But you were talking to the fact of, uh, you know, being on the road and yeah, one yeah. of your biggest fears. Because, like, and I tell you that, and that's how the fear started. Because when I was about 12, 13 years old, I remember there was this group in Hartford called Room Service, right? Mm-hmm. And it was back in the day. And um, these guys, I was performing at my middle school in, in, uh, in New Britain, and I hosted the show. And the guys came up, and they were there, and I hosted it. I did, I did probably, like, five, seven minutes. You know, I had barely had any freaking material. But I still was able to do it, one, because people knew who I was and knew I was funny. Uh-huh. And so when they saw me, they gave me, a, like, a, a pager number, and they told me to call this number because they liked me so much. Okay. And I called that number up every day. Pagers are like a little device yes. that you used to stick on your hip, yeah. and it, it would flash a phone number. Yeah, yeah. For, for people that don't understand, this is <laughs> this is 1995, everybody. Yeah. So, this is like, <laughs> so you figure I was about like in 1995. I was born in '83. I was 12 years old. Yeah. So at 95, 90, I was 12 years, 12, 13 years old at the time. So I, I was amped because like yo, the dudes was interested. They wanted me. Like all right, bet right. Right. Call this number up every single day, and they never called me back. Yeah. And that hurt like hell. I sure did. Because I thought I had a chance. And that's when I learned the business. Mm. Quick. Mm. That was that was even an aha moment. That was just me learning like, damn, yo, people can say some shit and then not follow through with what they said. Right. It's like, damn, is everybody like my dad? And that's what was the joke that I told people. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Because yeah. everybody would wonder what happened. Right. And I, when I kept getting that question. Hey, what happened? Did they, did they call you back? Everybody knew because I, they, they, people saw me, and then one thing spread to them. We're 12, 13 years old. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Rob, yo, Rob right. got to talk to the people that came in and shit. Yo, that's just dope. Like, right. what happened? What happened? Right. And then when it didn't happen, it, I started to become weathered to it. Yeah. It became hardened. Weathered, leathered. All that shit. Right. So then now when I got, so fast forward to New York City, 
I was afraid about being good. I was afraid about being too good. I would too good or or good. Good, too good. Remember we were talking about before we started recording. I told you like I play video games, right? And I would purposely hold back, right? Because I didn't want to make the other person feel uncomfortable. You didn't want to outshine them. That's exactly what it was, and I held myself back for some for some reason because of the fear of moving on to that next level. Well, I was always got afraid. You. Of, I was always afraid of the next level. Got you because. The trauma that I, that I experienced with the dudes from room service came over, and that became a big part of who I of who I was in the business. So I was afraid of always getting to that next level because I was afraid somebody will come up to me telling me like, "Hey, dude, I've always look. I, like, I don't mean to like. Look, I've always heard I was good. I was funny. I've always heard that. We've all said it. Yeah, your yeah, your yeah. family's all said it. Right. Yes. And yes. I, from y'all, like it's it's cool, but when you get an outside entity coming in here that can give you the possibility to move up, right? It's tough when you put, when you're putting your career in somebody else's hands mm-hmm. to help you to elevate yourself. I understand that. I had a I had a booker who really liked my shit. This is right 2011. This is right before I moved. I left New York. The guy told me he's like Rob, you're special. He said to me straight up, Rob, you're special. You're urban. You're different. Yeah. You're funny as fuck. And you have a point of view. Yeah. And he said, if you worked hard on this for six months straight, you could be one of the best out here. Right. And that scared the fuck out of me. <laughs> <laughs> it scared the fuck out of me. Because now what happens is when you go to that next level, you know what else comes along with you? Expectations. Yes. Responsibility. Yes. And then now at the time... I was afraid of that because it's like, damn, how do I go from that and then handling these expectations knowing, because I knew deep down in my heart that there was something getting in the way of everything. Yeah. And it was me. It was you. It was trauma. It, it was a lot of trauma. It's like, you, it was yeah. you that was getting yeah. in your way. I talk about this too on my show is that mm-hmm. the only person that ever prevent us from having any amount of the success or any amount of the things that we want in our lives is us, is mm-hmm. the person that is saying this, looking in the mirror talking to that um i can't help but to tell people this all the time when people are going through something or they're scared of something and i and i say i say to yourself visualize your dream yeah what is it that you want to do what it is that do you want to become visualize that when you're scared because if you if you can see that then you're not really fearful it's right there in front of you Mm -hmm. you know you can have that and when you sat there and you talked about sitting there in rockefeller and saying that you wanted to do that, dude. I sit here and I visualize all the things that I come that I want to manifest in my life to be the things that I want. The the, the goals, dude. I have a vision board. Like I have all the I have yeah. the, I have these things in place in my life to make sure that I stay on track. Not to get in front of the, not to get behind the fear because I'm fearful of doing all this because I am. I'm scared of. I'm scared that I don't know if this ever will take off. I yeah. don't, but yeah. I'm still going to do it because this is what I makes me happy. This is what makes me shine. This yeah. is what makes me feel the best me I can feel. So why would I stop doing this? Why would I be scared of the, the views of other people and mm-hmm. how they and how they're going to perceive this mm-hmm. instead of and, and worry about that instead of doing what I want to do? And I tell you, the thing is, though, it wasn't the success that I was fearful of. Yeah, this is this is. This is the forward thinking. This is this is the dope shit. This is the visionary part of me that comes in. Right. I saw what success was like not being mentally healthy. 
Gotcha. That's what stopped me. Gotcha. It wasn't. It wasn't the like because I had to. I had to figure it out over time because I knew like I thought to myself, it's like, damn. All right, I get put on this one because 2010 was probably like my best year. 2010, 2011, doing comedy in New York was my best years at that time because I was making a lot of headway. People like my shit, but I knew that there was something going to get in my way, that something was going to sabotage me because I knew I wasn't right upstairs in my mind. Right. And I knew this, like, the, the reason why I'm feeling like this is because it's been like this before. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, is this actually self-sabotage or is this me actually saying a beacon popping up saying, hey, be careful? Because I'll tell you what, the reason why I saw this from the beginning is, so I came up with Pete Davidson. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like me and Pete Dave, me and Pete are boys. I mean, he changed his number up a handful of times. So like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I remember when, I remember when Pete got discovered. Right. He got discovered by Nick Cannon. Not many people know this. Okay. So so Pete got discovered by Nick Cannon. So it was me, Jordan Rock, um, Chris Rock's youngest youngest brother, and and um yeah, so it was me, Pete, Jordan, and we're just smoking weed <laughs> and, and at this the comedy club in the basement, right? Uh-huh. On Forty Second Street. And so Pete comes in like, yo, Rob, yo, I met Nick. Yo, he gave me the, his end chain or whatever. And I'm like, yo, your life is never going to be the same, homie. Yeah. So he went, popped off. Jordan popped off. He's a rock, so of course. Right. And then I took my ass to Hartford <laughs> <laughs> to go be a fucking dad. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they popped off. But this is the thing, though. When I found my mental health recovery, it was really going fast forward. I turned on the television. Eric was right there standing next, sitting next to me. You know what the lead story is? Was on to the Today Show. Pete Davidson in the cryptic tweet talking about how he doesn't want to be here on Earth anymore. That's what I didn't want. Yeah. Yeah. To not to not know yourself in, in, in an industry that will easily swallow you up whole and spit you out. And then you'll be you- forgotten. All you become is a lead fucking story on the news. Yeah, so you'll be a you'll be a tweet. You'll be a tweet is. in the day. You'll be a headline, and, and uh, trending at that point. Exactly. So when I saw that, it was probably one of the most bittersweet moments I ever had. Yeah. And it was one of the moments like I had woke up not feeling suicidal. And when I read that, when I saw that, when he said he don't want to be on Earth no more, I was like, yo, I know exactly what this dude means. It don't mean he want to be dead. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But. People don't get what we deal with. So it's like, that was why, that was my foreshadowing there. Yeah. And for me, it came full circle. And when I saw that, at the expense of someone who I really cared about. Right. And I feel for it. I, you know, he always, I haven't spoken to him so long, but that's what I didn't want. I didn't want to be that fucking guy. I knew I could have been that guy. Yeah. Because with all due respect, man, me and Pete, you know, we talk about being competitive. Yeah. Yo, we I just stomp Pete out, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I mean? And he would he would have his, and I would have mine, and then we would talk shop, and then we would just travel along with each other. Like, yeah. yo, Pete was a good. He's, he's still a good dude. Yeah, what you? I I believe for everybody's craft, they need somebody to like foreshadow them or or, or run side by side with them to make sure that all right, this is funny. Well, wait. This is funny. Or yeah. wait, this is funny. And you just keep going like this. And what you're doing is you're building each other up. Yeah. Um, and what I like, I like to call them like um, like uh, angels 
Because they're, they're mm-hmm. always on your shoulder. They're always building with you. And sometimes your angel disappears and you find another one. Mm-hmm. So once you once you have those people in your life and you and they're helping you elevate your craft mm-hmm. or elevating you as a person, yeah. those people are hard to come by. And you always, like, when you see, when you see Pete, when you saw Pete on TV and you saw him and he was dealing with the, what he was dealing with, you, and you couldn't help but to think back to the times where you guys were, you know, running together. And then you're like, man, I didn't want that either. And you and you instead of taking the same direction of uh, of, uh, of of Pete and Rock, you went in a different direction. You went home to be a dad. Yeah. Um, and with that, how did that help you in your in your mental health and where you were at that time and where you where you where you've come from to this point? I learned how to be a fucking man. Yeah, dude. Oh man, yeah. Oh man, that I think that for some people don't realize like how hard that actually is. Yeah. Like you, you're you get to grow up and you go through your twenties and you go through your third little part of your thirties, but you think you're a man. You think you're a man. Yeah. But then something happens in your life and you realize I wasn't a man. I was a boy. I was just yeah. I was a child. Yeah. I mean, New York. New York grew me up. I was homeless about three days. I was living in uh, living in my car to see Coffee's Walmart, <laughs> you know, for a few days. And because of that, because I was living in my car, I remember, like, like I just didn't know where I was going to go. didn't know what I was going to do. But I knew being in my car was a lot better than coming home. Yeah. Like, I'd rather live in my car <laughs> than come I, home. <laughs> dude, I, you know what? I, I, I know that feeling yeah. because I, I, would, I, would sooner, I would sooner sell everything, all my dreams and everything, to yeah. have this work. I sleep, I live in my car yeah. to have this work. But, as long as I have power and a mic, yeah. I, I should be able to get this going. Seriously, because people talk, this is a thing, and this is why, I like, when you're committed to it, like, like, for me, knowing what I wanted early was a gift and a curse. Mm. I'm a, I was a junkie for it. I'm a fucking madman for this shit, man. I, I, well. I, mean, I, 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 I Yo, when people, like, when I tell people, yo, comedy saved my life, yo, like, people don't realize that, like, yo, it did. Comedy was the one language that I spoke that everyone could understand. Yeah. I remember when I was in, in Secaucus, New Jersey, working at that Walmart, there was a dude who didn't understand anything I ever said. But he knew I was funny, and he knew I was a good man. Uh-huh. And he said that to a coworker of mine, and the coworker translated it for me. And I'm like, this is an older Spanish guy, on uh-huh. top of that, who thought I was hilarious. And because of that, those were the things that let me know that, like, okay, I got to get the hell out of here. Right. And then, so, when I left, like, Sherrod Small, Chris Rock's cousin, was into me. Now the guy doesn't even know who the hell I am anymore. Right. But he loved my shit. I remember one time, I did this show, it was a showcase, and I fucking annihilated, yo. Talking about annihilated. It was this, it was the, um, and this is again, weathered. It was this, they call it the lottery. And the lottery was at the world famous, um, what was it? The one that was on Second Ave, fucking Christ. It was the, uh, where like Chris Rock, not Chris Rock, Chris Rock did get a start there. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Eddie Murphy. You're talking okay. about, I'm starting on, I'm walking on hallowed fucking ground, man. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm right. saying? Um, this is, it's not, well, it's not that, ah, fuck. I, 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 gotta, I gotta get this name right. Because uh, comedy club. So as so, yeah, as as yeah. you as you're searching for yeah. this uh, comedy club in uh, in New York, and you comic strip, comic strip, and yeah. you were uh, sitting, you were you were about to be weathered again. Yeah. In your comic career. Yep. Um, I went in there. I went there. Shroud Small was just like he made fun of my hair. He said I look like a I look like a 
broke down bust around or some shit like that before I even did my set. Right. And then I said, ooh, baby, I like it raw. <laughs> and that was from the remix, you know what I'm saying, when right. uh, this cat was on. And then, you know, that was from ODB, you know, and then everybody started laughing. Right. And then Sherrod was like, okay. Right. Because <laughs> right. I shut him down. Right. He didn't expect me to come out like that. Right. But it, what the thing about it is, this is why I say it's a gift and a curse. It was so instinctive. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, you know what I'm saying. Like, the funny people are, are, are yeah. incredibly instinctive. And what just came right out, and then when I sh- shut them down, yeah, I was like, "All right, this is my time, dog." Like, you know what I'm saying? I busted right. my ass to get here. Right. Five minutes annihilated. Yeah. And then the guy who was actually the former dude who was um who was he was uh Eddie Murphy's former manager. Okay. Said I was really really funny, but. There was something that he didn't like or some shit. Uh-huh. And then Artie Lang was there. And Artie Lang was like, dude, this guy's better than I was when I first started out. Right. And this is Artie Lang saying this. Yeah. You know, it's like, he's like, he told me, he's like, dude, you remind me of one of my heroes. You remind me of Richard Pryor. Uh-huh. Artie Lang. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I, I, know, I, know, I know comics talk shop when the, when the mic is not in front of them. And I know a lot of that stuff. Is more genuine when it's sitting there and you're sitting there talking. Because, yeah, because it was it was because the thing is I'm sorry because the thing is it was like it was a it was a contest show. Uh huh. And he was and all these guys were like they were giving their opinions mm. and all the guys said dope shit about me. Yeah. That they, they, I reminded them of heroes. Right. Guys that they looked up to. Right. So what the fuck does that say about me? Yeah. Right. Weathered again. Right. Mm-hmm. Come in. It's like fuck. I annihilate one of my buddies, Ricky Velez, who's been on TV. He was on uh, the Larry Whitmore show, Whitmore show before that went off the air. Right. You know, and he was like, "Wow, we fucking crushed it, yo!" Like I had people around New York City hitting me up on Facebook, telling me how much I crushed it that night. Right. And then I didn't get passed. <laughs> so, so you you're you're good enough, but not good enough. And that has always been the thing that got in the way. Yeah. For me, I'm good enough, but. That's always been the thing. The butt had gotten away, and that's why I left. How do you get over the butt? How do you get over the butt? And 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 w- with everything that goes on, I I think about this all the time when I'm when I'm sitting here and I'm doing myself. I'm like, is this good enough? I feel like it's good enough, but will everybody else think it's good enough? Reform, reform. You gotta you gotta evolve. Yeah, evolution. You gotta grow. So when I left to me, when I left, and then Sharad was like, "Yo, fuck what he said. You yeah. keep coming back." I got you. Yeah. I was like, yo, I told him I was with Erica at the time. What, it was 2011? Erica, Erica and I were with each other. Oh, I'm sorry. It was 2011. Yeah. I, uh, Erica and I, we've been together at that time. Probably like, shit. It doesn't matter. Yeah, long fucking time. Yeah. And then every time I would tell them, they were like, you serious? Because you figure Erica and I got together in 02. So you figure it was nine, ten. We were ten years together at the time. Nine, ten years together. And it was like, are you serious? Like, yo, like, yo talk about that. Like, so this is Sherrod Small, like, who's related to Chris Rock, yeah. does writing shows, loving my shit. Right. Tell me, yo, y'all be here, yo, da da da, do this. But I was like, all right, bet. And I was doing that. And I was going around the city doing that. But there was something missing. I wasn't right upstairs. Yeah. Because of that butt. Yeah. And it was just like, yo, how many fucking times? And then I remember. That butt, that butt was eating at you. Yo, it got crazy because then I started getting put on to other clubs. And then I saw my friends do this thing. They still got it going on. It's like the comedy series for like um, Caroline's. So I saw my buddies getting on that. And then I saw them getting on that um, shit at, uh, the, uh, at Broadway Comedy Club. Yeah. And I'm working my ass off. But at the same time, the butt 
it was me up here. Mm -hmm. And I realized that. And I was like, man, I'm not going any fucking where if I don't fix this shit. Yeah. So Erica's pregnant. I knew she was pregnant before she did. Yeah. And I was I was drinking a lot. Yeah. I was hanging out a little more than I should have. You were uh, you were scared. I was scared. I, dude, I didn't like. No, I'm like, look, man, I'm, 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 I moved to New York in 2008. I started hitting the comedy club scene in 2009. After I got out of school, uh -huh. Com comedy school, American Comedy Institute, right? Okay. I'm two years in, getting all this play, right, from a lot of different people, right. I'm talking about A-list, B-list, C-list comedians, loving my shit, right. But I knew there was something wrong with me. Yeah. Yo, there's no replacing. Yeah. There's no replacing that. No much how success you had. Mm -hmm. If you know something ain't right upstairs, if you know your mental health isn't right, or yeah. even your physical health isn't right, and you want to still pursue something that you have a great deal of passion for, yeah. it's not going to work. And, and, and yeah. Everything's got to be aligned. Right. And, and I was fucking around. Yeah. Fucking around. You know what I mean? Like other women. But the funny thing is I wasn't fucking them. Yeah. Mental shit. Yeah. You, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, sometimes we need people in our lives to help us transform what we got going on upstairs to filter it through another kind of psyche mm -hmm. to make sure that maybe you're not absolutely crazy. Right. And it's funny because so like my vice, some people's vice was alcohol and shit, weed, whatever. My vice was women. Yeah. And... Not, and I remember one time, I'll never forget this. I was laying down, I was drunk as fuck. And Erica was going through my phone, but I was too drunk to get up and say, Give me my phone. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm sitting there and I'm passing out, and I know I'm passing out. And I see her going through my phone. I see her looking at me, looking at that, looking at me, looking at my phone. And I was like, All right, I'm done. Yeah. Either she's going to leave me, and I'm going to actually have nothing. Right. Or I need to get my shit together. Right. So right before I passed out, decided, I told myself, was like, all right, I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And then once we found out legit that she was pregnant. Right. Then we came back to Connecticut. And I walked away from a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Because I was scared that I was going to fuck it up. Man. Dude, you know, sitting front on this side of the table... Yeah. It, it, for me, it just sounds like you were getting in the way of yourself. I was. When it, I was it seems like uh, when people, from what I understand, from what watching and listening and talking with people, mm -hmm. there's a there, there's an oh shit moment. Like, mm -hmm. oh shit, I I really got to do this. Mm -hmm. I really got I got I really got to get out of my own way. Mm -hmm. Stop doing the bullshit that I've been doing, and find another way of doing this. You know that you know that line. You know that that thing that says that second that that second. Uh, set of footprints in the sand. You know, like you yeah. again. Uh huh. That second foot set of footprints was me. That was me carrying myself, mm. my old self, out of wherever it is that I was going to. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So when I did that, I knew that it was the best thing that I, I needed to do that for myself. Right. And I knew that I couldn't raise a kid in New York. Right. We were living in a room. Yeah. That we paying, at the time, $725 for this big fucking room. Probably about as big as this space, honestly. And that's that. If, if this space that we're in right now, in my kitchen, this will go for 2000 
That's, that's, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah. I've heard some stories about yeah. New York prices and yeah. uh, uh, realty, and I'm just like, nah, I'm not, I'm not with that. Hell nah. So, yeah. Like now, it's like, so when I left, that was it. That was my moment, and I knew I came back to be a man. So when I came back at the time, though, before I left, I was seeing a, um, a Dominican gentleman uptown because I used to live on 157th and uh, 157th in Riverside. So um, Presbyterian Hospital wasn't too far. So I was going to hospital. I was took an ambulance ride in the hospital because I thought I was having a heart attack. That was that. Pan- that was a panic attack. It was a heavy panic attack. Yeah. Heavy, heavy. I-, I would have anxiety attacks so fucking bad. That I'd be hospitalized. Can we, can we talk about that? Can we talk yeah. about panic and anxiety? I, I've, I've done a segment of, in my on my show about how to combat uh, anxiety. You know, some of the things, uh, what I realized is, first and foremost, is triggers. Triggers for anxiety. What triggers people? What, what in, And recognizing your triggers. And then doing something about those triggers and trying to m- move past that. Um, panic attacks are no joke. They are the, probably the most scariest thing. <laughs> I don't wish anxiety or panic on anybody. Hell when when man. when you're Hell when man. you're stuck in that moment, it feels like it's going to be that way forever. Yeah. Oh, it's So I used to play a game called What's My Trigger? And I would, <laughs> I would do like the studio on his and that's how I started to identify it. Yeah. But the anxiety was of what then the panic was of the next level. Yeah. The fear and the unknown. And yeah. that's what always, for me as well, when I deal with my anxiety and I deal with my panic, is the fear of the unknown. Yep. And that's me, with what I say to myself is I say that I'm getting in my own way of my own success. Mm-hmm. And if I keep doing this to myself, I will never get to the places I want to get to. Right. And here I am, this 27, 27, 28-year-old black kid, beige kid, whatever. You know what I mean? High yellow. High yellow, motherfucker. <laughs> Everybody thinks I'm fucking funny. Everyone thinks I'm good. Everyone thinks I'm a good person, dude. I did. I I was doing. I was doing the necessary things that you needed to do to move up to the next level. Uh huh. But at the same time, there was just that thing was missing, and that's where the anxiety and the panic came in. Mm-hmm. So it was like my body was constantly reminding me. My mind was yeah. constantly reminding me. It was eating at you. Yeah, it was like there was something that was getting at me that I needed to address. And and I thought I could run away from it by doing stand-up. Yeah. It's like, yo, you can't run away from that shit. Man. No, you can't. Like, when I go on, like, I tell you what. So when the panics would come in, they were just, they were heavy. When yeah. I, was, I remember, yo, I, yo, I shit you not. You can, even, you can ask Erica. Uh-huh. I had a, four doctors come in. To my room at Presbyterian, asking me because they're all pul- pul- uh, pulmonary shit. Mm-hmm. I had my lung my lung collapsed three times in three years. Wow. From '04 to '05 and '06. So, and because of that trauma, because of my surgery that I had done in '05, I'm always susceptible to getting um, spontaneous pneumothorax or getting or pneumonia or those types of things. Wow. And and spontaneous pneumothorax is a condition in your lung where you get these blebs at the top of, like, there's a hole that gets to the lining of your lung where the inner and the outer lung meets. Okay. And these blebs pop up, and because they pop up, the air seeps out. And that's what happened to me. Wow. So they were nervous about that. So I would have four doctors, and they all boiled down to it. It's like, do you have bad anxiety? Yeah. And I was like, what the, what is that? <laughs> Bro, jeez. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't speak too much to my panic or anxiety attacks um but 
what I what I've realized is your mess is your message, and being able to get yeah. behind, yeah. getting behind your mess and delivering it to other people. I know people are going to relate to this. Um, I had a, I had a really bad scare one time where I was standing outside the walk-in clinic about to go in because I couldn't. My heart felt like it was beating a thousand minute, thousand beats a minute. My lungs were barely getting any air, and I'm sitting there, and I like I really had like a moment to myself where I'm like, if I go in here mm-hmm. and I deal with this on this level, mm-hmm. there's probably no coming back from that for me mentally. Yeah. I'm gonna be hearing somebody else say these things and and everything else. So instead of doing that, I went and sought therapy, and I started talking with a therapist. Now I've been. I've been in and out of therapy for the better part of like 15 years uh, for myself because I realized at a certain point that my mind is my own steel trap. It's my own worst enemy and it's also my greatest strength. So I need to learn how to sharpen that. Yeah. So at that time I had started back in, in, in back into therapy and I found this, this amazing, amazing therapist out in uh, West Hartford. And I and I and he's just helped me so much, so much with my mental health and handling my anxiety and handling uh, depression and handling my panic. You know what I mean? So when I hear people talk about this stuff and the first thing I always say is seek help, seek help, talk to somebody, find another outlet, find a way to bring down your stress levels, find another way that makes you be able to function the way at a high level that you feel good about yourself about. Yeah, totally, and I've been seeing, man, I've been seeing therapists, family therapists, whatever, since I was fifteen. Yeah. So you figure I'm thirty five. I've been seeing them for twenty so years. Twenty now. years. And I was always off and on because my my biggest thing was, and this is just like you know, being a boy, I don't want to take the white man's drugs. Yeah. Well, I mean, not only that, but um, um, I, I, black people, people of color. They have a tough time going to therapists or, you know, they have the stigma that therapy doesn't work. But, man, that, that, that stuff works. I would, I would go to therapy, but then the thing is, it's like I would go AWOL. Oh, you would just rebel? I would, yeah, always. Always. That was a cycle. Mm. That was a cycle. I'd do it for consistently for about four or five, six months, and then I'd then I, then I bounce. Then I'd be gone. Yeah. I've been in psych wards. Um, I've been shit. I've been, you know, I've been everywhere, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's like, I lived the fucking life with this shit, man. Yeah. And the thing is, I was still doing comedy. I was yeah. still going to work. I was still maintaining. Yeah. In my early twenties. You're you're still high functional as still, a, I was a, in society. I, I call myself a functioning psycho. Yeah, like there's functioning alcoholics. Yeah, man. And because I was high functioning, people didn't understand it. Yeah. So my accountability was still like that of normal people. Right, right, right. I know, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Because because you're still able to do these things on a normal, consistent basis that everybody else does, and deal with your problems, nobody would take you seriously. Like if you had gone, let's say you had one of these attacks in the middle of your set or something like that, and everybody would be like, "What's wrong with him?" You know what I mean? They nobody would really nobody would give you the credit to be like, "Oh well, he's dealing with things right on but this I, level." But this is the thing, though. This is this is the cool shit about what I do as a stand-up. Oh, that's my kid, y'all. Oh. <laughs> um, so, when I go on stage, everything shuts down. Yo, that's great. Like I know that feeling. Yeah, everything. 
it just becomes quiet. I can close my eyes and I know where everybody is in the room. Bro, I got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. I got goosebumps from yeah. you just saying that right now because like, I, I know where you're at. Yeah, it's, it, it's it's cosmic, man. It's not. Yeah, it's, it's not something that's it's euphoric. Yeah, it's and I and I and, I, and I'm on, this is what's happening. I'm on stage. It's like, oh, why does the guy got his arms crossed? Oh, oh, look at her. Oh, she's kind of pretty. She's so like, oh, look at her sloppy ass. Oh, hey, that's my friend. When did he come in? And I'm doing jokes. Yeah. <laughs> As I'm doing it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, your, 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 yeah. Mind, your, your mind is over, your mind is playing back your jokes as you're scanning through the crowd and you're yeah. getting a feel for what's going on and for, mm-hmm. I don't know, for that 8 to 12 minutes. Yeah, exactly. You, that, that 8 to 12 minutes is your drug, is your euphoria. And, and um, yeah. that's crazy. So I, I want to know, how, how did you come out of the other side of the mental health stuff? So, like, when I left, so I was seeing this Dominican gentleman uptown, and he, I, when when Brooke, when we were when Erica was pregnant with Brooke, um, I, honey, are you done? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually on my podcast. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I my podcast is really free form, dude. Yeah. So a lot a lot of it is just really what it is, dude. I, yeah. I try. I, I do as little editing as possible with all of this because I want people to feel like. They're sitting in their room with us. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want people yeah. to feel like they're they're right at the other end of the table yeah. as we do this. Yeah. So a lot of this so I like I I, I know we're gonna I wanna get back to what I was yeah, saying, what but yeah. um when I do this and I have I have different variety of people on here mm-hmm. and everybody that I have on here, I want them to be them. Yeah. I want them to be whoever it is that they are all the time when they're with me. Whether it's whether we're doing this on yeah. this level or we're doing something a little more, um, you know, mainstream for people, but like the goal of this is to have people see that everybody has something to offer, right? And everybody has has something going on in their lives that you can't see, and working through that to becoming the best them they could possibly be, right? So, that, yeah. so um, we I was talk, uh, you were getting to the point where you're getting on the other side of uh, your yeah. mental health. So, like, you figure, uh, it was, like, 2011, you know, I'm, I'm I'm having these crazy panic attacks. I had a fucking ambulance ride. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. And then, um, then I just knew, like, it was just something told me, like, I, it's it's time. I remember, I remember sitting in, in Rockefeller Center, and I was like, that's when I said to myself, I don't, I want to be the writing job. But it's like, I can't be that person until I get out. And then the guy that I was talking to uptown, he was a good dude. You know, he helped me out a lot. He was actually giving me meds. Not even prescribing them to me, just giving me meds. Yeah. And and they were helping out a little bit. But I knew I needed more help. So I moved to Britain, came back out here. So it's like, lost opportunity for stand-up. All the contacts I had, falling apart. Friends started making started making moves. Yep. I'm watching it from a distance. I can't watch TV no more. <laughs> um, I'm living in a fucking efficiency with, with, with my with my my girl and my daughter, my newborn. Um, I have no car. I barely have money. I'm I work at a Walgreens. I'm still having the panic attacks. Yeah. My friends that I was cool with, gone. Yeah. Gone. I'm by myself. No help. My mom lives down the street. 
you know, but she's dealing with her stuff. Right. So it's like, I can't just rely on her like that. I'm like, yo, what the hell is happening? And so we left the apartment that we were in New Britain. Can't hear it? Okay. So we left the apartment that we were in out in, um, out in New Britain. And then we ended up, honey, I don't even know what the hell's wrong with this thing. Is this even working? So like, uh, try it. So I left the apartment that we were living in. And then we moved to we moved to we moved in with Eric's parents, and then that's when I was like, all right, I can't live here forever. Right. And I was like, I need to go see somebody. And then right before we moved in December of 2012, um, right before she turned one, that's when I decided I needed to go see somebody. Right. So I started seeing someone on in West Hartford myself. All right. And she's my Jewish mother. I've been seeing her ever since. That's fantastic. Yeah, so as long as Brooklyn's been alive, I've been seeing this woman. That's great. And I've been with her consistently. I probably still owe her fucking money, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, know, I, noticed, I noticed when you have a, a consistent therapist, they don't yeah. even really care about the money after yeah, a while. Yeah. They, just, they just want you to show up and get the help. So, yeah, I mean, I value those therapists. Right. Because you said your Jewish mom. Like, I feel like this guy is my, is my uncle, dude. Yeah. I I really do. I feel I feel like he's my uncle and I feel like I can go there and have whatever conversation I need to have at that time was going on and he helps me push through it. I would I always feel two hundred times better at coming out of therapy. Yeah. She she pissed me off and then I think about it for a few days and then she challenges you. Challenged me and, yeah. and so after a while, twenty twelve kicked in, uh to twenty and after Brooklyn's twenty thirteen almost got like twenty fourteen almost got fired from my job. Because my erratic behavior. Mm. But I didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. So I took a leave of absence for a month. I said, yo, fuck this. I got to get on meds, man. Yeah. And then I ended up getting on meds. I ended up quitting that job because I hated it anyways. But then I started coming off the cycle. Started understanding my path. Like, yo, why is it? Your patterns. Every year. Like, I'm like eight months to a year into something. And then all of a sudden, I hate it. Triggers. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I and then not only that would happen, but I would go at the alpha. Of course. You know what I'm saying? Like whoever whoever the manager was, whoever was the king, whoever was the boss, whatever it was, the highest person at its peak, I wanted a piece of them. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's I would find a way out, come out right before everything hit the fan, mm-hmm. leave a trail of terror afterwards <laughs> because I was a crazy person. Uh-huh. And then I realized 2014 is like, man, I need to start taking meds. So I started taking meds. And then I started taking antidepressants. And I started, and I was back, because I do, I've taken, even in my early 20s, man, I took everything under the fucking sun, man. There wasn't, there wasn't anything. I can't, I've taken so much shit from my teen years to my mid 20s. And then when I finally said, fuck the white man's drugs, three, four years later, I said, all right. I got to get back on them again. I got to get back to the white man's drugs. Yeah, five years later, I got to get back on them. But now I have to have a better understanding. Yeah. So then I realized that, oh, Rob, you have have ADHD. I was like, oh, shit. So they gave me stimulants. Mm -hmm. And they gave me stimulants to calm me down. (laughs) 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 You know what I mean? Like, my mind... Like yeah, that. Yeah, I think they do it to make you focus, to give you a focus. Yeah. So when instead of you know bouncing everywhere and one yeah. all over the room, yep. it's able you focus on that one thing and you kill that one thing yeah. and then you move on to another thing. Right, because there'll be a time I'd be in, even even as recent as being like recent as a year ago, I'd be in this fucking kitchen doing five things at once and freaking out because I don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. So 
stimulant after stimulant, med after med, and then by the time 2015 kicked in, the worst moment of my life happened. I hit Brooklyn. Jeez. I hit her twice. I forgot who she was. It's a three-year-old little girl. Remember, I moved, people remember I moved to New York, right? Yeah. And that's actually my one-man play that I'm writing. Um, I left to New York City because, not because I wanted to go back and do stand-up, because I didn't want to hurt my family. Right. So I bounced. I was like, yo, you're going back with your parents. I'm going to New York. I'm going to go send for you. I had no intention of sending for them. Yeah. I just needed to get away from everybody. And I left. I think we all have that feeling at times where yeah. we want to, where we want, where the flight. Mm-hmm. The fight or flight thing? Yeah. In. For me, the flight aspect came in because the flight aspect came in 2011, 2012 when I left. But the flight aspect always came in. Yeah. This is me understanding the pattern again. Same. You know what I'm saying? Same. Yeah, yeah. Same. So, so now I'm leaving, but I'm leaving for a purpose this time. Right. To get away from my family so I don't fucking hurt them. Right. Because I've seen domestic violence up until I was 18, 19 years old. Right. You know, so now it's like, I'm not doing that shit. Yeah. I'm not slipping and forgetting who the fuck my family is. And yeah. Then snap on them like that. Right. So 2015, I left, but I was still coming back and forth a lot. It was still like I was still here. That's how I feel. Yeah. But I was, That's in, how I feel. But I was in New York. And when I was in New York, I was still seeing my therapist. And then I started seeing a psychiatrist out there who was another woman who fucking challenged me. Yeah. She was like, Rob, I don't think you're bipolar. It's like, I don't give a fuck what I am. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Right. Whatever it is that I am, I don't give a shit. I'm tired of being this way. Yeah. And then she mentioned borderline personality disorder. And I was like, ah, whatever, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So 2015, Roseanne, I'm there. I go 2015, November, I'm there. I'm in alone in this room. Wanted to kill myself every day. I almost did a few times. Going through so going through that bullshit. And then 2016 rolls around. I go on a leave of absence from work because I was working in Soho at an Apple store. Mm-hmm. I went, <laughs> I couldn't take it no more because I was right. away from my family. Yeah. I was, the borderline stuff was really kicking in. I didn't Bro, know what the hell borderline I, was. Man, I know that feeling being yeah. down in North Carolina, man. Just Yo. You're just on an island by yourself and your mind eats the most out of you, mm-hmm. man. And you got to... I, I've come back to Connecticut quite a few times just because I know that I need to get my roots. I need to get right. grounded again. So, I mean, not to cut you off, but I kind of could, yeah. I can feel where you're at with the, with the story. Right. And I'm like, and then, and then, and then going along there, 2016, I go along, I'm on my leave and I, it was a waste of time because I didn't do shit. Yeah. I just sat on my ass. Yeah. And then I got foot surgery. So now I'm in pain. Mentally and physically. Yeah. And then I go back to work. I try to transfer in 2017. They wouldn't let me transfer. I was like, well, fuck this. I'm out. Yeah. Go on another leave of absence. But this time my, my doctor's like, Rob, you're not going on another leave until you go to group therapy. Yeah. And then that's when I went to. And then I got my full diagnosis about borderline. Because I was going to enter this thing at ILL, which is the Institute of Living out in uh, Hartford. And I went to go see this woman for um, intake, and she was like, you ever heard what borderline personality is? I'm like, yeah, I've heard about it, but what is it? And then she's like, do you feel this, 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 and this? There's like 10 or 15 of them. And I said yes to all of them. Wow. And she's like, yeah, you're borderline personality. Like, you shouldn't be here. So then I went to ECHN, which is over in in Manchester. I went to a group therapy there, and that changed my life. Yeah. I found what my diagnosis was. 
finally. Yeah. I went through ECHN. I did their program for yeah. about two months. Left there. Then I ended up going into another group program for an eating disorder. I had my first breakthrough. Yeah. At the eating disorder. It's like, you're, when you get breakthroughs, man, ooh. Yeah. Because this is the thing about mental health. It's lonely as fuck. Yes, it is. It's a lonely fucking thing. Yes, it is. But you know what else is lonely? Recovery. Yes. Because it's your own road. It is. And you can't, and who you, and it's not like something that is palatable for other people to understand. No. And it's, there's no yeah. shortcuts. No, there isn't. And it's, it's not like coming out of jail. No. It's not like um, recovering from alcoholism. It's not, you don't get a chip. You don't get a party. No. People yeah. aren't hiding the alcohol from yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? Like right. nobody's doing that. No one congratulates you. Look, I'm all due respect and I love my girl with to death. She's my wife, basically. I love her to death. Even she didn't know how to handle it when I found yeah. recovery. Yeah. And I understand yeah. that because she is the one who's been scarred by it the most. Right. Because that's the yeah. one you take the, your... Ah, uh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely... I know what you mean. I yeah. definitely have taken those things out on my the the, the, the woman that I loved and the, the people that really have my back and my yeah. support system. So it really... Uh, you burn the fuck out. Yeah, you do. And, and so... 2017 comes on, like, I'm 2017, I'm in the eating disorder group. I remember exactly what happened when my breakthrough came. I was sitting in a group. Um, mind you, I'm sitting in a group with a bunch of young white girls. Mm. I'm the only black dude. And there's another white dude there, but I'm the only black person. Only person of color, if you will, yeah. that's dealing with this shit. Well, that speaks yeah, yeah. to what I was saying before yeah. with the stigmatism of black people yeah. being getting mental health and diagnosing their problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I would tell people, one of the jokes I come up with, man, I used to call out of work sad. You know, like the, one of my jokes is like, well, Rob, why can't you come into work? Because life, nigga. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's why I can't come in because this shit is tough right now. Up yeah, here. yeah. And so I'm dealing with that at work. I'm dealing with home life. I'm going to my therapies. I'm doing all this thing. And when I found my breakthrough, it was like I was sitting in, the, I was sitting in group. I ended up getting up, leaving. I was so emotionally I was so emotional. I started crying. Yeah. I called my therapist. I called my psychiatrist. Yeah. And they ended up, both men ended up getting back to me, yeah. which was the weirdest shit. And then I ended up talking to him about what I'm feeling. Yeah. And it was the craziest thing. It was like, it was like something like, it was like one minute I was one way and the next minute I was another. Yeah. And the thing about it is when you find recovery, it's a buildup. Yeah. It's a buildup because you'll feel it for a few days. Yeah. And then it builds and it builds and it builds because and then, you're, and then it slowly gets to that point where it's like, and then it pops. Exactly. Yeah. And then when it happens, it's so uneasy because you don't know what the fuck is going it's on. It's so new to you. Right. And yeah. you're like, why am I thinking clear? Yeah. Why is this happening? What well, the fuck is going on? It's euphoria. Yeah. And it's so emotionally and mentally taxing that yeah. I had to take some. I, I had to go away for a weekend yeah. to understand what Where the fuck just happened. You know what? I, I say this to people all the time, man. Like, I, I there's, there's, the, the first line in my podcast is everybody has a struggle that no one knows about. You know what I mean? Everybody has a challenge that nobody knows about. Had that, prior to this interview, I, I had no idea any of this was going on in your life. You always seem functional every time I've seen you. I know that everybody deals with stuff and the level of which they deal with it is, is totally different. But like to, to find out that you've gone through this journey and gone through this challenge for yourself, not just for you, but for, for your partner and for your child, like it's, dude, that's, that's a big deal. And that's something that you should be really, really proud of. And you should, you know, you should, people should, 
when I, hopefully when people read this or, or hear this and listen to this, they they come to you and let you know that you know your breakthrough and your growth is pe- things that people dream of. You know, people that I, you know I've talked to people that have that have in- instability in their minds and their health and what they're going through, and they're on the road to recovery and and they're trying to get to a point. And you watch their struggle, and you and there's nothing you can do for them. All you can do is just say, "Hey, man, keep working, keep trying, keep working, and keep trying, and keep honestly, working." That's all you can fucking do. I believe in you. Keep yeah. working, keep trying, and, and, and yeah. yeah, you and you want these people to succeed so badly because you know that it's in them to do so. Right, and I and I think for me, what really got me was not just my daughter, like. You know, people's like, oh, you got to be around for your daughter. It's like, nah, that's not enough for me. No. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Dude, I, 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 t- I, say yeah. this, I say this to everybody. You got to do it for yourself, man. Yeah, man. And, and that's what it was. And, and for me, I did it for myself. And so 20, I get that breakthrough. And then a month later, Erica gets cancer. Yeah. But the thing about it is, though, at that time, I was prepared. That's, but uh, isn't, that, isn't that amazing how the how the universe and all that works through that you go through all of this, all of this, and it's right. And you know what it is doing It's getting you ready to take on another challenge mm-hmm. to prepare you for another challenge. I waited 15 to overcome, years. to overcome right. that, that next challenge. Totally. Exactly. You're hundred percent right. I waited 15 years for this to come up. Yeah. With 15 years from the moment she told me that she had a benign tumor in her leg. I was like, all right, that's thing. That thing's going to, that thing's going to metastasize and turn into, turn into cancer. Right. Day. So I have to be ready. Yeah. And I mentally prepared. I knew, I knew something, like, again, when she, when I knew she was pregnant, I knew there was something wrong with her leg. Yeah. Immediately. Right. And I was just like, we have to go see a doctor. She's like, no, no. I was like, no, we're going to see a doctor. Right, right, right. And then once she, once that happened, then this is where the cool, this is where the crazy part comes in, right? Then all the, I got no attention. (laughs) Yeah. From what I went through. Right. No attention. Right. Now all of a sudden. She was on the other foot. She was on the foot, but everybody's, but everybody's like, oh, Erica, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, yo, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yo, she gets fucking cancer, and I, I'm, I'm struggling for the past 30 some odd years of my life. Yeah, I need and, a little bit of shine. Right, it's like, yo, ain't nobody, ain't nobody yeah. sitting at my bed, it's ain't nobody coming to my house. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, friends come out of the wayward friends and shit, oh, now you want to fucking be there every goddamn day? Yeah. What was you at earlier? And and that was a natural response. Yeah, that I, I think that's an that I I if you don't have that natural response in your mm-hmm. head, I just I, I kind of feel like you don't feel on the level of everybody else. Right. If you if you just be like, oh well, that's what it is, and I need to be selfless. That's great, but I want you to still have that thought in your head, like where were where were everybody else? Or sit down and have that conversation with your partner, just to be like, hey, you know, I know you're going through this, but when I was going through this. All I was looking for was just somebody to say, man, you're doing a great job. Or just reach the motherfucking hand out for yeah. a second. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, just a second. And, and I was jealous as fuck. I was jealous of yeah. someone who might be able to die. And the thing is, though, yeah. I might be able to die yeah. by my own hand. By yourself. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. I've seen friends who killed themselves over the shit that right. I live with. Right. And the only thing that kept me alive were one or two things. One, let's see, my iron will, and, and two... Just like I don't even know that the second one was just something that, that my dreams, man. My dreams made me realize that, like, I'm talking about when I slept, the the things I would see in my dreams kept me alive too. But it got so bad I just didn't want to be awake. 
So, so when Erica was going through her treatment, I was there for. I put all my shit on. I left my, I left my group. I was taking. I was looking after her. And then when I found out that she got sick, um, you know, I, I almost thought I was gonna be a single father. But then the panic came in. Yeah. I remember the night before she got her surgery. I'm freaking the fuck out. Yeah. I had this major, major panic attack. And she's just like, why are you like this the night before? My, it's about me. It's what, when I was about you. And I was like, it's never about me. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. just stick my fucking head in that freezer. Yeah. Just so I can fucking calm the fuck down. Yeah, dude. Because uh, you're, you're fearing the unknown. You don't yeah. know what's on the other side of that. Yeah. And I, what I realized, too, is like um, something else I talk about is communication. Yeah. When I went in my show is, you know, being although you are in a place, too. She is in a place as well, and expressing how you feel about that specific topic. There's a giant bubble. So we'll mm-hmm. say cancer. Cancer is the, the giant bubble. You have a feeling about it. She has a feeling about it. And if you guys aren't both you know, trying to pop that bubble together yeah, by yeah. communicating about how you feel and how she feels, you guys are going to just butt heads, and it's going to be the worst feeling ever. Right. I just freaked the fuck out. Yeah. Like, that's what happened to me. I just freaked the... I told her, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. Yeah. I'm just this way. Yeah. I know I shouldn't be like this. Right, I right. just don't know. Yeah. I'm not trying to be selfish. Yeah. I'm not trying to take away from the moment. Right. I understand what's going on. I'm just freaking the fuck out, and I don't get it. Yeah. And then she... It was... It was... As fast as she caught it, fast it was gone. Yeah. You know, and I, I can't I, I can't stress that enough. The yeah. faster you're able to communicate how it is that you are going through and the faster that they can understand that is the faster you can get over it. And, I, and it's a beautiful thing when it happens organically where you're just like, yeah, you guys are at this moment so intensified. Yeah. And then you guys talked about it and then it's over. Yeah. And then a month later, her cancer was gone. Yeah. And then that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And then but. Everyone had fuck cancer shirts for her and, you know, all this other shit. I'm like, man, what's my, what's my fuck? Yeah. Like the anxiety and yeah, depression and the all that. Actually, actually, I'm not going to say it all out because I'm a motherfucker's taking my idea. But, <laughs> but I, you know, I got some shit like that. So, yeah. like, I ended up, I ended up like, you know, when she got well, I was there for her the whole time. Yeah. That's great. You know, the whole time when she was laying in bed. That's great. And then, but the thing about it too was, is because of my mental health, we started drifting apart. Yeah, because you're on an island by yourself. And so now, we don't know where we're trying to pick up the pieces of our relationship. Bro, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. I know that feeling, especially when you have a mental health problem or you're, you're and you don't feel like the other person can identify with you or understand how to, like, maybe nurture. Or, or, or help you along in your journey as, you, as you're trying to progress. Right. Because now they're going to feel like it's all about the other person. I'm always giving. I'm always giving. I'm always helping. I'm always doing this. You've done this to me for so long, for so long, for so long. Now I'm supposed to just turn around and help you because you've got this diagnosed problem. Yeah. And, 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 it's, and that, that switch doesn't just flip on for everybody. Right. And, and it's interesting the way I, when I tell people about how you burn people out, the way you burn people out is... It's like, imagine a dog that just always wanted to come up to you for affection. And then you scold that dog over and over again. And that dog eventually just, every time it sees you, it it, ten, it gets tensed up. Yeah. So when you do become better, and you are in a good mood, and you try to pet that dog, it still flinches. Yes. That's what it's like yes. for people. 
That's a great analogy. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. a great analogy. And they're just because they don't know they're up, they're on guard. They're first. on guard. Yeah. And then eventually they'll let you kind of go, you know, they'll wag your tail and they'll come to you. Right. But it takes its time. And yeah. You, there's a lot of work on the on that on that side. Right. Too. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of work on the recovery. I, I keep. I, I. I'm glad that you have talked about all this, and I'm. I'm really, really, really loving this conversation. We've gone on for like an hour and like uh, fifteen minutes. Oh now. shit! Yeah, and that's not even. And and, 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 and there's there's so much more that yeah. we can do. Um, yeah, I yeah. The, the what I want to know is um, where where are you at with your uh, your comedy now, and how are you getting back into that? And uh, tell tell us a little bit about that. So real quick, um, so during that whole time, mental health shit. Now now I'm good. I'm sound. Yeah. I found my recovery. I've met all my recovery goals. I don't wake up feeling suicidal. I actually get up out of bed ready to go. Yeah. I'm actually, I don't sleep all day like my daughter was told me to do during this past summer because yeah. of the shit I was dealing with. So now, evolution, right? We talk about Ev- next level. Right. We talk about being weathered. Right. Now I got weathered again. Yeah. I had this television show I was working on called Beijing Both Sides. So during all this stuff that's going on, mental health struggles, uh-huh. Erica getting cancer, uh-huh. I'm writing a TV show. I'm working with this woman. Now, I have to be very careful about what I say because I'm actually getting sued for defamation of character. This woman is suing me for $115,000 for defamation of character because of the things I was saying online, which are the truth. Are the truth. And actually, my affidavit is online. So it's like, this is all, this is, this is all fucking public records. Mm-hmm. So now you ask me, okay, what am I doing with the comedy? I'm tired of performing in Connecticut. <laughs> I hear you. You know, and, and that has nothing to do with like, it's got nothing to do with me or anything like that. Or, like, it's just, it's... Some of the crowds in this area are a little dense. Gotcha. And also on top of that is you've got a lot of people here that... A lot of the, there's a, the, the old, the good old boy mentality exists yeah. way yeah. too much. Gotcha. And because of that good old boy mentali- mentality, you see these generic... I'm going to say, yo, generic white comics uh-huh. that come up. Yeah. But a dude like me, speaking... From my perspective, my view is like, oh, you talk too much about race. Right. Or you talk too much about stop doing that. But then they'll go do rape jokes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, right. And molestation jokes. Right. And and all this other and, and, and abortion jokes. Right. But you're telling me to not speak what I feel to be is mine. Yeah. So during this, I say, yo, fuck this. I'm gonna do something different. So I started writing this TV show. Now I'm working with this woman. Long story short, I guess. She doesn't, she's not 100% honest with me about things. Uh-huh. She's paying for a lot of things. Yeah. not telling me where the money's coming from. Well, she told me where the money was coming from. She said her, her mother had passed away and had given her this money. Okay. And she said to me, like, oh, my mother would want you to have, my mother would want me to help you with this. It's a gift. Yeah. So older white woman helped me out with this. So I'm like, all right, but I was like, yo, let's just chill. Let's figure out what we want to do. Let's try to get a network to be interested in what we want to do, right? Yeah. So she's like, all right, cool. So... I get a network that's interested in us. In us. CPTV, they're interested in us. Uh-huh. I tell her about it. We go to these different places. We go to these uh, meetings, stuff like that. I go to these meetings. Every time I'm talking, I can hear, I can feel her on my neck. Just ready to jump in. Yeah. Like I'm going to fuck this meeting up or something like that. Right. And she would do it all the time. And then she would say, oh, Rob, thanks so much for you know letting me talk in there. It's like, And I told her, but I kind of didn't have a choice. And she's like, <laughs> and I'm like, yo, no, for real, bitch, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm working on this show. Everything's going on. We're, we bought, we're getting ready to film. I was like, wait a minute, hold up. CPTV's interested in us. Can we just have them pay for this? She's like, no, they don't have any money. You know, we, let's do this on our own. We got it. But I'm like, well, 
you're paying for all this, right? I'm like, okay. In my mind, like, who owns all this shit? Yeah, who owns the rights to this? Yeah, exactly. And now, come to find out, apparently she does. I signed a release form that I thought was just for me to just start in the show for insurance purposes. Uh-huh. She turned it into a contract, which it can't be a contract because when a contract, both parties have to have to gain something from it. Right. I gained nothing from it. Right. So what she did was she took my content, she put it on YouTube, she fucked up the narrative of the show. Wow. Not only did she fuck up the narrative of the show, questioned everyone's artistic integrity who was involved with this show, she took my name off as the content creator and producer. Wow. As if I had nothing to do with the show. Then she turned around, took the show, showed it to some people at a Kickstarter party she had, and then ended up getting funded $20,000 for it. Wow. For a GoFundMe, for a Kickstarter. So now... You ask me where I'm at right now, comedy-wise? I'm a fucking businessman now. Yeah. Everything I do is either getting copyrighted or trademarked. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. So that's where I'm at in comedy. I'm a businessman now. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So now I know I'm funny. I can develop shit. Now I got four or five projects in the works. Yeah. I did old man copyrights where I basically sent letters to myself. Yeah. And I sent these letters to myself, and now I got them sitting in my room somewhere. Yeah. So, like, if somebody tried to take my idea, I can take that old man copyright because of that, because of the stamp from the um, the government. Mm-hmm. That's a federal stamp. Mm-hmm. So that counts in, in court. Okay. So, like, if someone tried to take my idea, I was like, I can hit them with a cease and desist and saying, stop doing my idea. Right. If not, I'm suing you. Right. And if, and if they continue to do it, I'll take them to court, and I can bring that piece of paper. Right. And I open that envelope up. Either have it notarized or stamped, and it's like, boom, give me my shit back. You know what I'm saying? Right. So now, this is the things that we don't learn. Yeah. We don't learn how to do this shit. Right. So now I'm learning the business. Well, you, you know, it sounds like you're learning the hard way, and you know, a lot, of, a lot of lessons in life are learned the hard way. I mean, Rob, you're this, this, this journey that we've taken today is just immense. It's like. It's, it's, it's awesome. It might be heavy for some people. It, it, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. So what? So what? It's not their story. It's your story. This, yeah. is, this is this is your life. This is what you're going through. And I'm hoping that people can get grab something, everything, anything from all of this, yo. Because this is, I mean, this is just so um, inspiring and powerful. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just more than what you know. It's more than what I was expecting to get out of this today. Because uh, I always come into each one of these unfiltered. Yeah. I no expectations. I come in. Ha- looking, I have a dude. I, every single one of these, I have a blast. I have so much fun doing every single one of these. I absolutely love doing this. Um, like I said before, whether it's mainstream or far left or far right or whatever it is that w- that we end up talking about, I absolutely love this because I'm getting something from this that I never would have gotten before. No, I get more knowledge. I've got more understanding. I've got a better perspective on so many different things, and I just and I and I'm. I'm honored, I'm grateful, I'm gracious, and all that stuff. So, Rob, um, as we wrap this up, can you tell everybody where they can find you and where, what, what you're doing with all of that? Man, I'm hiding, yo. Fuck everybody trying to find me. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's my biggest thing, too, yo. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't want to be famous, and I don't want people to... I love people, but I just don't want to be that guy. But to answer the question, I'm on Instagram at, at Muse324. That's M-U-S-E-324. Okay. Also, go on my website, RobSantosComedy.com. Um, I got links to my YouTube page. I got links to, like, my Instagram, my Facebook. I got cool. my Mr. Santos. I got my Mr. Santos Comedy on Facebook. 
excuse me, on Facebook. I got all that stuff. You can look me up all, all throughout that way. But MUSC324, um, Instagram is when I'm on the most, and um, RobSantosComedy.com. And um, I got a show coming out on, I'm doing a show of December, I mean, February 28th at City Steam at 8 o'clock in Hartford. So come to check me out. I'm, I'm uh, headlining that show on that night. All right. That's great, Rob. Appreciate it, man. Much love. I appreciate you. That was an amazing show. I really appreciate Rob for coming out and sharing everything that he's gone through. That was such a dope episode. I'm really excited. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure you guys go check out Rob, February 28th, City Steam, Hartford, Connecticut, 8 p.m. Until next time, guys, remember, 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 focus for you. Hey, what's up, everybody? I just want to say thank you for coming by and pressing play with me today. I am very honored. I'm very blessed and I'm very fortunate to have you guys as listeners, as followers. So I want to hear more from you. Be sure to hit me up on my Facebook or my Twitter. Until next time, remember, focus for you. My podcast is really free form, dude. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of it is just really what it is, dude. I, yeah. I try, I, I do as little editing as possible with all of this because I want people to feel like they're sitting in their room with us. Yeah, you know what I mean. I want people yeah. to feel like they're they're right at the other end of the table yeah. as we do this.